What's going on guys? Como están? And welcome to the third ever episode of The Engine Room. And yeah, once again, we have Pablo. Pablo, como estas? Como estas? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Hello, hello everyone. It's been a, it's been a busy few days. Busy week actually uh, since since we last recorded really, hasn't it? You know, a lot and a lot has happened. And uh, again, I'm excited to get started. Again, I need to remind you guys that our podcast is now available on several podcast platforms, perhaps the most uh, frequent or regular ones that you'll be using are Spotify and Google Podcasts. But uh, head over to our anchor page there and we will have all of the links to our uh, to the rest of our podcast platforms. And again, guys, as I keep mentioning, follow us on Twitter. On Twitter, we are, you'll be able to catch you know all of our updates, all of our little tweets, content and stuff. And we will be tweeting more on there in the future. And also in the future, we will be looking to launch a YouTube channel and an Instagram page. Yeah, and of course, uh, this is the last ever episode that we're going to be doing covering the Euros and the Copa America because the international kind of festival of football is coming to an end. We know that now the finals are going to be Italy versus England for the Euros in, well, Europe. And then in South America, we have Brazil versus Argentina. And this episode is going to be covering exactly that, this transcontinental festival of football. We're going to be previewing the finals. And yeah, I think that we have nothing else to mention, do we? No? No? So let's get started with our twisted takes, just like always. So starting off with our twisted takes, I wrote this one just before I went to sleep because I kept thinking about what I could write for the final, but I forgot that the semifinals also just took place. And well, my twisted take is that neither both the two teams with the best collective play, in my opinion, went through to the semifinals of La Copa America. So yeah, a little bit controversial, but I think that both Colombia and Peru displayed, I think that if you put it on a... On like a, let's do a, a timeline of 90 minutes of the two games, of the two semifinals of the South American Copa America. I think Colombia and Peru played the better football in both semifinals. So I wanted to have a reaction from especially Pablo here because, of course, I may be a little bit biased, especially for Peru. For Colombia, I think I'm right. I think Colombia played better than Argentina, but especially I want to know your opinion for that other game. I don't know if you watched the semifinal, but um, well, let me know your opinion. Yeah, I, I was able to catch a bit of the uh, Argentina-Colombia game. Argentina started strong. They went 1-0 up with Lautaro, but after they went 1-0 up, and this has kind of been a problem for them all tournament, I felt, they've kind of just stopped playing. And I think Colombia got into the game. You know, they hit the woodwork. They had some good chances. Martinez made a few good saves. And I think we'll get onto that later when we speak about Argentina. They have been struggling to... Uh, to really play those 90-minute matches. It sounds weird if the football's 90 minutes long, but I feel like Argentina are only playing in spells right now. Again, you know, they had chances in the last 10 minutes again. Um, but, you know, other than that, you know, I, I think I think you're right. On the Peru-Brazil game, I wasn't able to catch much of, if not all of it. I, catch, I caught a little snippet of the first half. Um, I saw Brazil went up just on the stroke of half-time. I heard that Brazil were dominant in the first half, but in the second half, in fact, as you mentioned... Peru did grow into the game and that maybe Brazil were lucky there. Refereeing decisions, I'd like to see what you think about that. Uh, the potential penalty, I think it was Danilo who had his arm stretched out there, his elbow. That could have been a penalty to uh, Peru. And obviously Peru were playing against uh, against 10 men, weren't they? So yeah, interesting, interesting semi-finals. And uh, perhaps you're right, perhaps you're right. Um, yeah, the referee's decision for Brazil was an interesting one. The penalty on who did you say it was? Mar was it was it Danilo with the, with the, with a handball or not? No, it was I. It was Thiago Silva, I think. It was oh. Thiago Silva, and that one on Thiago Silva. Look, 
I don't understand what went wrong on that one because I think the VAR always have to revise certain situations like that. Tolar, the referee, once again is Chilean. I do not get how can you put a Chilean referee because I, I perhaps you don't know this, but like Peru Chile is like a very big rivalry here and it makes no sense. Like you cannot put, uh, I don't know, what's a big rivalry in Europe? Like you cannot put a French referee to, over the final between, you know, Italy and England. Like, because f there's always a rivalry between France and Italy. So it's like a little bit weird in that sense. I don't understand that. So that's one thing. The second uh, so, sorry, thing is that... Can I, can, I, can I correct myself maybe on that on that red card? I believe that was in Brazil's last game. Was it the red card and they didn't actually go on to 10 against, against Peru? Yeah, in the final we did... Yeah, yeah we were in... The, the, yeah, the, it was 11 versus 11. Yeah, yeah, one. yeah. Sorry, that's my... Yeah. And, and the thing was that also here in this one, um, the thing was that apparently now, like both the... Like both Peru, Peru kind of um, players after the game came out and said in press conference and also in the pre, in the post match interviews that the referee was kind of insulting them, and Gareca said the very same thing, and also Neymar came afterwards and said uh, that it was very interesting that the referee was very kind of uh, I don't know the word in English but it's kind of, in, in Spanish is soberbio that he was very kind of Hostile? uplifted. And he, yeah, he was very hostile. He was he felt like he was one level above every single player yeah, on the field. Yeah. And even Neymar said that and, and he kind of reinforced the, the words of the Peruvian players. And it's kind of like both Brazil and Peru were disgusted with the referee. So it's very interesting on that. And Comebol has already kind of opened an investigation on the referee. And that's that's an interesting one because I've never heard something like that where the where the referee was openly kind of being hostile to the players. And that's and like I said, that's an interesting one. I think there were some certain decisions, especially with some kind of fouls given very, uh, some fouls that were given very cheaply. Some fouls that shouldn't have, yeah, very. What do you say, cheaply? Yeah, cheaply. Yeah, that, yeah, that were that were, shouldn't have not been given, mm. and and that's something that just took me out of the game completely, and especially because you in 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 South America, like for instance, I think that Neymar will. This is something like Neymar won't ever reach his best level in South America because he's you'll never see Neymar play at his best ability in South America because the South American game brings you down to its core values, which is yeah. just like <laughs> fighting and a kind of hateful games and just being very naughty and being very dirty. And that is something that you won't you won't ever see Neymar do. So that is why Neymar always kind of just just put on the ballet shoes and just decides to flop around the field, you know? And like this game, I watched it with my mom, and my mom doesn't watch too much football. And even she was like, she was like shouting. She was like, "Oh my God, what is Neymar doing?" And I have never seen her like that. And it was very, very interesting to see what eye opening I would say because it's something. It's it's kind of like evident to see that um, that it's just a show, really. And yeah, that is something that pays me a little bit. And it's like, uh, I don't know, really. I don't know how can you can take that out of the game, but I also kind of wanna. I want to keep on this point because it's something I want to mention also for, for England because I think it's something that we, we should mention here on the Euros because in that semi-final between England and Denmark, something very similar happened. And it's kind of like interesting how it's it's taken in this other part of the world because it's, it's different. Because here it's like this happens and then people hate and people open an investigation on it and people decide to just come openly and say, oh yeah, the referee's insulting me, the referee, we're going to open an investigation, all of this. And then in the Euros, like nobody really cares. People just go like, oh, whatever, you know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's really different. And it's very interesting to see how, 
how um, even potentially with more tools available in like Europe to combat something yep. like this, mm-hmm. people just decide to remain silent. And I think that's that's interesting to see. But anyhow, um, like I say, I think at the end of the day, um, in Conmebol are going to be like uh, wrapping their, their hands here before the cash because Brazil-Argentina is certainly the, the final they wanted. And in all honesty, it's kind of the final that every football fan also wants. So even though Peru are not in the final, and that hurts me a little bit, I'm not disappointed because I'm going to see an incredible football match. Uh, but I'm going to be disappointed if Argentina don't win it because I need Argentina to win it because it's just like uh, justice needs to be served and like fuck Brazil at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, should I move on to my twisted take? Give it a go. Right, mine's going to be over to the Euro side of thing. I, that that works quite nicely the way you did, you did one on the Copa America, and I'm doing one on the Euros. I have to talk about Spain, my team that got knocked out in, in the semi-finals, and I wanted to mention in my twisted take that Spain leave the tournament probably playing the best match of the tournament. I thought the semi-final against Italy was an absolute masterclass, not only from you know certain individuals who were brilliant, Busquets, Dani Olmo, Pedri, Eric Garcia, but also from Luis Enrique's team. And he has now set up Spain wonderfully uh, with a with an in-tournament turnaround also. He set them up wonderfully for the uh, 2022 World Cup in Qatar. I was so impressed with Spain in the semi-final. I think Spain have grown through the tournament. And as I said, I, pr- I think they leave playing the best football. And I think Luis Enrique has proved once again that he is one of those top managers. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I remember that um, I was kind of like writing a few videos after the game in my room and my father came in kind of like just barging through the door. <laughs> and he said like, oh, what do, you think of the, what, do you, what do you think of the game Italy versus Spain? Because he's all about like the old Catenaccio and all stuff like that. And I'm like, um, I think Spain played the best game of the Euros. And he's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, Spain didn't put it through the... Through the for the, yeah, yeah. the net, like, uh, possession doesn't mean anything if if you don't score. And I'm like, yeah, I, 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 like, I'm never going to change his mind. He's 60 years old. Like, there's no point in me, like, trying to make his mindset change, you know? So I'm just going to, like, yeah, believe whatever you want to believe. But for me, like, the performance that Spain put in, for me, that's worthy. That's worthy of, I don't care, for me, Spain won that game. Penalties is a lottery. For me, Spain deserved that that victory because they played Italy out of the park. My goodness. The the passes that they the first half. The first half that Spain had, that was incredible. That game, Pedri linking up the midfield, Ferran Torres just drifting for the right, for the left. And Dani Olmas a center forward. Jesus Christ. That was that was a mastermind uh, like selection by Luis Enrique. I, I first of all, I didn't even realize. I saw the lineup and I was like, okay, Morata started. Like, but he didn't start. Then once the game started, I realized like, oh shit, Danny almost actually started. And I, I posted like on my Twitter the, the lineup and I didn't even realize that I wrote Danny Olmo in. Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, right. They're, they're playing with a number nine and they're not playing with a number nine. And it's like, I read, oh, oh. But it worked because it made Kellini and Monucci don't have a proper kind of... Exactly. Um, yeah, a proper target to kind of mark. Yeah. And, they and it that. just made them very hard. And Dani Olmo could just kind of um, act as a, as a, as a, like I say, a false nine and make it hard also for Jorginho to just stay out of the game. He was also pressuring Jorginho for it so that uh, Italy didn't have a clean a clean way to pass it out the back. And we know that Italy also like to play with possession here in this tournament, especially because Italy were in any other game, the Spain, but here against another team that we're going to have possession they didn't know how to combat that. 
and Mancini kind of had to look for other ways, other tactics, and credit to him because he actually did manage to kind of uh, understand that the best way was just going to go through the through balls uh, in between Eric Garcia and Laporte for that, with, with Mobile, and it worked, and Federico Chiesa, and it worked. That's how they got the goal. But, um, but like you say, I think I think Spain did play a very good game and, and credits to them because I thought they were they were really good and 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 also and like we talked about before in the in the second episode of our of our podcast the one before about the the mental strength of Spain yeah yeah we did and how they managed to come back in the extra time after being one nil down I think that introducing Morata then Llorente and those changes just gave them that extra boost that they needed both tactically and kind of mentally to get back into the game. And, and that goal for Morata, that was also an incredible piece of skill. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think Spain were, were excellent. I completely agree with, with all your points there. I think like you, you mentioned nicely that, that Mancini did combat it well. And that's why I think Italy will go into the final with decent confidence because at the end of the day, you know, Spain was so good, but they still managed to, to get there in the end and get through all that adversity. So I think that'll be big for them. Touching on what I said earlier about the 2022 World Cup, I, I do want to say that Spain, you know, are nicely set up for that. I did briefly mention that, but obviously you've got so many players there who are in their teens or 20s, low 20s, who are going to be even more mature by the by the time that rolls around in the uh, in the winter of 2022 uh, over here in Europe. And and you've got, look, Pedri, who will be, what, 20 years old or so. Eric Garcia will be just that bit older. Laporte will be uh, established in the national team. Unai Simon. Of course, plenty of other players will probably be coming through by then. You know, there'll be a new pedigree, there'll be a new player there. Um, but of course, the main one we've got to talk about is up front, where Spain have been lacking the whole tournament. Anasul Fati, I think everyone, the whole tournament said, well, if Spain and Anasul Fati, then this could be a different game. This could be 3-4-0 Spain. And even against Italy, so, so many great chances were missed there in that first half as well. Oyar Tabal just, you know, he couldn't cut it there. And, you know, there were the sort of chances that Anasul Fati would absolutely love. And he is tailor-made for this national team. With Luis Enrique as the coach, you know, Spain have got an exciting future. And I hope it keeps going and that, you know, it doesn't all collapse. Because, obviously, in football, things don't always go as planned. But, you know, after what we've seen this Euros, it is looking good for Spain. Yeah, and, and to imagine that, like, after so many years, again, the core of Spain is going to be Barcelona again. Yeah, yeah, that tells you a lot. That tells you a lot. Eric Garcia, Pedri, Ansu Fati, and probably like probably someone else is gonna appear. Uh, I'm surprised about who do you think the stri- you think Morat is still gonna be a striker by then? Yeah, probably, right? Yeah, I th- I think so. It will depend think, on a lot though, but things can yeah, change. I think the front three may be Ansu Fati, Morata, and Ferran Torres. I think yeah, that yeah, yeah. Be. Although Dani Olmo is playing so good, I don't know what do you do with Dani Olmo, but I think yeah. this game is like a. In Spanish, you call it un juego consagratorio. You know what I mean? Like the the game that basically makes Daniel Daniel makes his mark in this game. Oh yeah, well, it, was a, big, it was a big moment for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I think he was the man of the match in this game. Even yeah. though, like, even though Kiesa scored, but whatever. Yeah. So with that, I think we should move onwards now to the centerpiece and let's take a look at the finals. Okay, so now, Pablo, before just entering the, the finals, which are Argentina versus Brazil and Italy versus England, I think there are two moments of the semifinals that we need to just discuss, and I think they're important coming into this game. The very first one uh, for me in Copa America that I really want to highlight is the penalties of Argentina versus Colombia. And did you got to see them? Because they were amazing. I, 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 <laughs> I, I didn't get to see them live. You know, I always try. And then by half time, it's 3 a.m. over here in the UK. And I just coll- 
I just collapsed into my bed. But, you know, as soon as I woke up in the morning, I was seeing all the highlights and all the, the crazy chat from Emi Martinez. And it was a crazy shootout and how passionate Messi was getting. It was vintage Copa America. Yeah, like, I remember watching the penalties and... yeah. I was watching it with my mom. I've watched all the penalties with my mom. I don't know yeah. why she's like gotten so into like she has already like retired from her job, so she has gotten so much free time, right? And she's just whenever and she likes watching penalties. So whenever she's yeah. come, whenever it's penalties, I just say penalties, and she like comes running to the room just to watch the penalties. And it's like um, okay, so we were watching the penalties, and I remember the it went Colombia went first. Colombia scored, I think, the first one, and then Messi had to Messi was shooting. And for me, the penalty, I said it also on Twitter, and some of you who follow me may already have heard this, but for me, the penalty that Messi scored, I think that penalty meant everything because the composure and the commitment, the dedication that he had to that penalty was such a powerful shot that I hadn't seen. I haven't seen Messi take a penalty like that. Like, even in Barcelona, I haven't seen Messi take a penalty like that. That was a powerful strike i cannot tell you that was such a powerful shot and that is like he came into the penalty and he was like i know where i'm gonna put this penalty yo sé exactamente donde le va a pegar y la pegó and that i think is precisely what i think changes a little bit and gives me confidence that perhaps he he knows that this is his moment and and i think that a lot has to do with the fact that He's a free agent right now, and he doesn't have to worry about, oh, when I'm going to start precision at Barcelona or not. I think that he just has one commitment, and that is Argentina right now. And for me, that penalty was everything. And then Emi Martinez, my goodness, he was incredible, saving three penalties. And from the psychological, I don't know, you got to see the videos 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was all seen. over the... Yeah, he was all over the, the head of the of the players. And you could see live on TV, and I'm like, on, on TV, like, when you're watching it, I was like, dude, this guy is crazy. I didn't know he had that in him. I thought he was, like, a quiet guy, but my goodness. He he was all over Jerry Mina. He was like, I know you. I know you. I already play against you. Ha, I know you. He was the, my, my favorite part was he was to Jerry Mina, and you know when... Jeremina lost it. He said like to Jeremina, "Oh, I think the ball is a little bit too advanced. I think, yeah. I think it's not on the line. I think it's not on the line. Your ball, your ball is too, too. It's not, it's not where it should be." And Jeremina answered uh, like answered to Emilio Martinez and said, "No, no, no, it's on the spot." And when he Jeremina said that, it's like, "Oh, I'm in your head," you know, yeah. because yeah, yeah. you don't respond to that. It's like no. on school, on on like on the on the yard when you're on your on on break time or whatever, and you know when you're getting like bullied or something like that. When you respond, it's the bullies in your head. It's like you have lost it completely. And I knew it from the moment that he was going to miss it. And, and bro, he, he missed it completely. And then, yeah, and then Emi Martinez just did the, he did the Simeone celebration where he just like went like, mm, like, like that. And I was like, oh, that was incredible to see. I, that was crazy. That was crazy. And, and the other one I think that you, you, you may explain it is the, is the England one. The England one for me, the other situation that for me, I think, defined the semifinals was that penalty in extra time. Was it a penalty? Was it a not, penalty? Not Sterling, for me. not for you? Such a diver, isn't it? Well, it's just, it's sad to be honest. Um, one, because England versus Denmark and England obviously, you know, far superior on paper. Hunt managed to really crack down Denmark. They got the own goal. But then there, in extra time, when Denmark were hanging on, it's not a penalty. It's not enough contact. If there's even any contact on the first move, Sterling's already on his way down. He kind of just collapses, I feel, when he saw legs around him in the box. 
and I thought I'm going to fall down here and I'm probably going to get a penalty. Well, he was spot on. The referee gave it. And I think it's poor really for VAR. You know, this is, this is exactly why we have VAR. Situations like these, massive moments where nations are on the line, it, everything matters here. And I don't know what they're doing. You know, mucking around in the VAR box, letting letting things like that go ahead. It's it's not on for me. It's it's disappointing, and I will speak about it a bit later with England. I do feel as if it has been nicely set up for them, and I think that was another good example of it this year, to be honest. I don't know why that wasn't overturned, especially in, in such a huge, huge moment. But yeah, it wasn't a penalty for me, not at all. And even then, Kane missed it, even with a laser on Schmeichel's eyes. The rebound fell to him, and, you know, everything fell for England. I think there's a parallel between like England and and like Brazil here because I I, I was watching like um uh to to journalists like talk about uh, Brazil uh in Peru talk about that about the game between Brazil and Peru and how the VR works here and the referees and they didn't say they said something very nicely they say like they say a quote and they change it so the quote the original quote was like no matter which team win or loses no matter how many own goals you know that the World Cup, like you always know Germany are going to win. That's like for old football, you know, for the World Cup. And then the new one is like, no matter how many how many own goals, no matter who wins or loses, you know that the VAR is gonna, always going to favor Brazil. So that is kind of like something that we use here to say that. And I think that that happens in the Euros, but maybe not for not for England specifically, but maybe for like the home team. Uh, and and England right now are the home team, like they are at Wembley always, and and I think that's something that you have to take into account, and perhaps it, it it's a difference or two, and it's kind of nicely that like you say nicely set up for England, but in reality there's nothing really you can do about it. Spain was supposed to be in this side of the tournament, and by the lack of the draw they just weren't. So I guess that yeah. I mean, it's lucky for England. It's incredible how Southgate has gotten the two easiest draws of their life. <laughs> I just, yeah, I know, I, yeah. That's incredible. But I mean, they're in the final at least. And let's see if justice will be made. So let's head into that. Okay, so now we really are going to start with the main section of our podcast. And we are going to be talking about the two big finals coming up this weekend. Absolutely massive games. We'll both give our thoughts on them. We are going to start the Euros here as we just finished off uh, talking about there with the, uh, you know, potential penalty decisions and whatnot, all of that, you know, drama that was surrounding the semi-finals. Italy versus England. Massive game, almost one we could have predicted by the round of 16 stage in terms of the fact that England were maybe with Germany the strongest team on one side, also with Netherlands after their impressive group stage. And I think on the other side, Italy, after their group stage, was certainly the strongest on that bracket, but perhaps we thought maybe France would make it all the way. Italy, let's start with them. I want to start by saying I think Italy this tournament have probably played the most impressive football despite the fact that Spain was so good against them in the semi-final. Overall, I think Italy have probably been the best. You look at their group stage, the quarter-final against Belgium, the slight blip against Austria, but even then they made it through. And I do actually think that, you know, the way they made it through against Austria is another point I want to make on their passion, which I think is crucial. I think they've got a huge togetherness in their group, which uh, I do think is valuable in international tournaments. I always am someone who, who values, you know, the tactical aspect, you know, that the overall football over, over anything else really. But if you just got the football and no passion, no desire, then it is difficult to win games. And I think Italy have got both in abundance. I think they were surprised against Spain. I think they were very surprised with how good Spain were. Spain 
took the ball completely away from Italy. They made Italy chase the game. They made Italy sit deep and have to play on the counter-attack. And I think the way Italy have been playing all tournament, it hasn't exactly been like that under Mancini. So I do think that was a bit of a wake-up call for them. But after all the good football they played before that, then they played Spain, and even then they overcame the adversity, and I think that's big. That is really big. Uh, of course, having played, as I said, you know, the great football against Belgium and uh, against against Turkey and against Switzerland in the group stages and Wales, then to have that game against Spain where they had it, you know, up against them, you know, Spain were carving out chances and they still came back and won it. I think that's big for them. Playing against England at Wembley is going to be super hard. Um, I do think that, but but I think coming through the adversity is is big for Italy, despite the fact that up against England at Wembley, with what we're going to be what nearly ninety k is it ninety thousand supporters in there, a lot of them from England, that that's going to be hard. But uh, yeah, those are my overall thoughts on Italy. As for England, I think back when we were when we were forming that tournament tree, we saw the clear route to the final, didn't we, for England and Germany, similar to the twenty eighteen World Cup. You know, it did feel like. There was a great chance for England to reach a final here. And finally now England have reached a level that they should be. England have finally lived up to their expectations. Something they haven't really done in what over 50 years. They've kept on falling short. Have they had it easy? Yes I think they have. Not easy but certainly easier than other nations. I do think they've got a good ride to the final. They've played almost all their games at Wembley. They, they will be playing the final again at Wembley. And I think you know the draw was favourable. But... Even then, they usually go out, and they've finally done it. Even with Gareth Southgate, you look, they've got all the amazing players. They've come through. They've defended well. They've got great players in attack, which means they can change the game at any given point. And I think in the Euros final against Italy, it's going to be difficult. But at home, with a chance to win their first ever European Championship, I think they've got a good chance. Yeah, well, starting off by Italy as well, I, I think you said it very well. I think you described them as the most consistent side, I think, in the tournament. I think that the, the, the game against Spain was certainly, like you say, eye-opening because Spain played different. And against England, I don't think England were going to be able to retain the ball as much as Spain did. So Italy might be the team that will dominate that, that final a little bit more. But England do have those certain moments and sparks of brilliance that might surprise Italy. But Italy... I, I've been surprised, like you said, with their togetherness. I think all around, there are more solid collectiveness. And Mancini knows exactly what to do. Like, they have a game plan. I'm not too sure Southgate re really knows what they're trying to do. I think that Southgate is more of a, how you say, it, like a Zidane type of manager. A, a, a manager that likes to keep a calm happy. A manager that likes to try and play the players in the right position and just see what it goes. I don't think he's a tactical mastermind. And I think that suits him right. But against someone that may be a level above him, I think he might get exposed. And he has never really faced that, to be honest. I think that against... Uh, look, if you take a look at the other manager, against Denmark, for instance, he, he struggled. He struggled a lot. And even though England were overall the best team, I think in that, in that semi-final... He struggled a lot and he didn't surpass Denmark. He got very lucky, an own goal and a, a penalty that wasn't a penalty, in my opinion, against Ukraine, Shevchenko. Again, you're taking a look at a Ukraine side that are very diminished and just had to go through a very injury-heavy uh, previous round of 16. And then against Germany, well, against that that Germany one is the is the one that you could say that Southgate got it right. Yep. But in my mm -hmm. opinion, also, they weren't weren't they weren't superior to Germany I mean it was two moments bang 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 they took their chances and they scored yes. which is mm -hmm. all due respect 
it's it's fine. They got the goals, but it's more a win on the players more than a manager's win, in my opinion. And I think that is something that can get exposed here in Italy because I think every single person, every single staff member, every single player are thinking in unison in Italy. I think they all know what the plan is. I think they all know. And that is something that we all saw against Spain because Italy played with by by the extra time they changed all of their players i think they changed nine players of the starting 11 they had a completely different front fleet a completely different midfield and the strategy was the same the tactics was the same they implemented pesina they implemented belotti they um harberardi and the tactics were still the same they were still exploiting the spaces in the very same way in the spaces in behind eddie garcia by this time was pau torres but it was still exactly identical to the first half and that is something that like I said, it's systematic. And England, I don't see that system. So I'm a little bit worried for them in that sense. But like I said, very similar to the game against Germany. They have those sparks of brilliance because they got great players. And with an informed Sterling, which in all honesty, he is. <laughs> like he's playing very, very good football right now. Harry Kane, who's banging in goals of recently as well. England can surprise. So England, like you say, also are, are getting easier. They've gotten a, a easier bracket. I think it's facilitated their way. They're facilitated their way to the final. I think that now is going to be really the biggest game of the competition. It's of course the final, but I think this one is 100% going to be the hardest game as well. Um, I think they're going to be having to put out a very good performance, and I think that this would be the the moment for Southgate to either like break or. Or, or seal the deal, honestly, because it's up to him really to show right now if he deserves this spot as an England manager, because he knows his players the best. He has been with them from like youth under under 21 and, and all the way to here. So I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to call. It's a hard one to call. And I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do it first. So why don't you take <laughs> it first? Oh, it, it is so hard to call. It's so hard to call. If I had to give the, the percentages we do, I would go 55 to England. I would give England as a slight favourite. So I think the players they've got, I think it's just so key. I think Southgate sets them up in, an, in a not massively brilliant tactical system at all. I think you made a good comment on that. I just don't, I still don't think he is an elite manager tactically at all. But the togetherness they've got, they set up in a, in a pretty good wall. You know, they have, they have the back four or the back five and they have Rice and Phillips in front. And then up front is where they've got the quality. And it and it really does matter because I'm telling you, you can win games with that quality. We've seen it a years at Barcelona with Messi and Suarez. You know, if we were playing poorly under Valverde, 1-2, 2-0, 3-0, sudden looks at Barcelona have had the game of their lives when in fact, you know, we were struggling against Leganes or whatnot. And all of a sudden, it looks 3-0, everyone checks the score. Oh, what an easy day at the office. That's kind of, you know, what England have had they've here. Only conceded one goal. Yeah, <laughs> from a free kick. Exactly. Yeah, they are. They are. Ah. They have been solid at the back. I will give that them that England. They've been solid at the back. They're playing at their home ground. They're getting even more fans in every time. Which you know, for on the health side of thing with COVID, you know, we we can say what we want on that, but they are getting a lot of fans in. They've got big support. They're in a final now. There's togetherness in the team. Like you said, the one goal they conceded was a wonderful free kick to Damsgaard. Other than that, they haven't conceded a goal. And look, I think it's nicely set up for England. I think it's not been nicely set up for them for a while now. And that's why I'd have to give them slight favourites. But Italy are fighters. Italy also play very, very good football. And I think you're right in saying that Italy will try and take the ball back in this final. They'll try and be the ones who have the 60% possession, if you like. 
And if they get Jorginho on the ball and someone can't get close to him, that'll be key. I think Jorginho versus Mount will be a key Chelsea battle almost in there with Mount trying to get around him and Jorginho trying to, you know, get the space for himself. If Italy can play their football, I think tactically they will outclass England. But that doesn't always mean anything. It really doesn't in football. England have that quality. And if Sterling and Kane get space, they will score. That is true because Mount did the exact same thing to Delaney in the game against Denmark. He Mount was precisely the one to stay on top of, of Delaney that game. And the very same way it was uh, Dani Olmo on, on Jorginho in the game between Spain and Italy just didn't couldn't create anything and they just had to rely on the long balls and it's not your you're defending against Eric Garcia and Laporte which are you know honestly weaklings compared to Maguire and um, Stone so I think England like you say yeah I think they're better prepared is nicely set up and yeah I, I agree with you I think I think the Euros I think it's coming home <laughs> so yeah I'll probably give it 55 to, to 45 as well yep so with it, I think it will be nicely. It will be very, very nice to kind of do try and do a combined eleven with this one, yep. and try to find out what will be the best the lineup out of this one. Let me start that one again. Okay. So with that, I think it will be interesting to to try and make up a combined eleven. So I've made a combined eleven for myself, and you've made one as well for you, I guess. And I have indeed. Let's try, and let's try and compare and see. Which players basically do we think fit in here in this in this lineup? So we've both gone. Have we both gone? First of all, with a four-three-three, or have your formation been different? No, I've I've gone four-three-three as well. Okay, so my goalkeeper, I decided to go with Donnarumma because I just think Pickford reminded me in that game against Denmark that he always has a mistake in him. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Donnarumma for yeah. me. Yeah, in the right back, it's a little bit difficult because. I think that even though Di Lorenzo had a good uh, good campaign with Italy and England has better right-backs, I think, on the bench, I think Walker has been for now the best right-back out of all of them. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 th I think Walker's very useful for England. He's the quickest in the back line and he mops up very well. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. In the centre-back position, I decided to go with a, with a duo of Bonucci and Chiellini. I think you cannot get better than that. I mean... At club level, they have really not been that good, but in Italy, this campaign, these Euros, they've really shown that they still got it, at least in this for, for, for a short amount of period, they still got it. Yeah, that, that position I struggled with the most because, you know, England have only conceded one goal, so Stones and Maguire do deserve credit, but that, but that partnership of Bonucci and Chiellini is just so hard to split up, isn't it? Yep. Left back, who you've gone to? This is so difficult. Um, overall, perhaps Spinazzola, but the fact that he got injured in that quarterfinal would probably make me just go for Luke Shaw, who I, who I also think's had a very good tournament. But, you know, I think sentimentally for Shaw, and who, who's someone who was unbelievable in the uh, in the five games he played, was, was Spinazzola. Yeah, I'll probably play Spinazzola with an ACL injury over Luke Shaw every day. Oh. <laughs> no, JJ. <laughs> but, uh, but imagine... <laughs> Then CDM, I was going to yep. go with Declan Rice. Yeah, I, I've also got Declan Rice in my midfield, yep. Yeah, he surprised me a lot. He's a player that I haven't been like a, f a really big fan of, or not a fan of, but I just never give him the like really big credit that he mm. deserved. But uh, I think this season he has earned it for me. Like I've seen him more and more, especially because West Ham has been playing better. And I think that this tournament has made it for me. And yeah, I think I see him in a different light now. 
Then up top the two midfielders, I put Jorginho and Mount. I've also agreed. I've also agreed with that. Interesting thing about this midfield, you got Mount and Jorginho both from Chelsea, and Declan Rice, who has high possibilities of going to Chelsea in the summer. So interesting midfield. Yeah, stop buttering up your players. Okay, I got <laughs> it. <laughs> in the front three, I got in Chiesa, Kane, and Sterling, and you. I was, I have gone for the same, but I was so torn between Chiesa and Insigne. I think they've both had good tournaments. I feel like Insigne was better perhaps at the start and Chiesa's grown into it. If I had to go one way, perhaps I'd go Insigne, but I have also definitely agreed with uh, Kane and Sterling. Sterling especially has been a big revelation for England in this tournament. Dude, but I'm sorry, but like Chiesa has saved Italy from yeah, like, exactly, Austria. Exactly. And then Chiesa has scored a wonderful golazo against Spain. Exactly. Like, that, was a, that was a sweet ball. Okay, now, so we move across the Atlantic and we take a look at Argentina versus Brazil, or how I like to call it, Brazil. <laughs> and <laughs> I will start off with Argentina. And yeah, Argentina is an interesting one because, um, like Pablo said previously here in this podcast, that Argentina has been an, a team that has demonstrated unity. I think that Argentina is a team that have constantly been fighting against adversity many, many times. They have got into four finals under Lionel Messi and now as a captain another time again, they're going to be here in this final in the Copa America against their biggest rivals in Latin America, in Brazil. And it's going to be a very, very difficult moment because this was supposed to be in their home ground. This was supposed to be in Argentina and now they're going to be fighting against Brazil in Brazil. So, of course, it's a turning tides per se, and it's going to be not, let's say, the side of the coin that they would have wanted, but it's certainly not going to fade Messi at all because I think that in this competition, he's looking more prepared than ever to try and win it. And I don't know about you, Pablo, but I think that Argentina, even though, like you said as well, they are not controlling the games, they're playing by spells, they've always struggled after the first goal. They've never really capitulated on controlling the ball. They don't defend with the ball, which is a problem that Argentina have. Argentina don't defend good to start off. So they don't defend good without the ball. And to solve that problem, you need to defend with possession. And they don't even do that well either. So they struggle with that. And against Brazil, a team that you do not want them to have possession at all, that's going to be very difficult. But, uh, but I think that Argentina... I don't know. I, I have a feeling. I, I, I want Argentina. I mean, I want Argentina to win this one, but I have a feeling that, that something can give here. And I don't know. I don't know. I feel I feel that that sense of unity, I think that that sense of, of that Argentina are on a mission. I think that's different. I think they've they've headed into this this competition with a different mindset. They've they've decided to tackle this in so many different ways. They decided to train. Do you know that for the group stages, they went after every single game, they went back to Argentina? Mm. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. They went every single group stage back to Argentina. Every single game, they went back to Argentina. They went like always back to Argentina, back to Argentina. Because they like, they went like, they, they were, they wanted to be like on a core, a nucleus of like constant, um, like a, of a periodic, like a training sessions and stuff like that. Uh, that, that if they went to Brazil, they couldn't have. And then after they progressed and now they're in the, in the knockout stages, they just went to Brazil to start off their, their, their training there. But, um, but I don't know. I think, I think it's different the way that they've prepared for this competition. And I like that. And I think that they've, they have a much better squad now. I think the incorporation of El Cuti Romero, hopefully he's fit for the final. I think it's incredible of a defender. I think he adds in, 
a different a different thing that they didn't have. A, a center back that can pressure out from his position, can go and tackle the opponents. He can dive into tackles. He can be the center back that comes out and helps uh, the number five because let's remember that Argentina don't play for normal CDM. Uh, they play Paredes there, which is kind of like deep, deep line playmaker and it's different. So it's a helper, uh, kind of like an extra help there. Perhaps you can also add Guido Rodriguez, which is a proper number five there. So it's an extra piece that allows then the number eight in the pole and Lo Celso to play more freely or even Paredes moving up moving in up to the, another position in the midfield. And even that, you have Emiliano Martinez, which is, for me, has been the best Premier League goalkeeper this season. And he has already demonstrated to be an incredible penalty shot stopper. And he's just a real leader. And I think that, overall, this squad is looking pretty good. I think the only position, the weak position, the weakest position that you have is a right-back position. I think that's the only position that they have. And before, I could name you, like, four or five. And now, they have only one, in my opinion. And yeah, uh, I want to know your opinion on Argentina before I get into into Brazil. So yeah, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, well, we, we've spoken about Argentina a few times before on the first couple of episodes of the podcast, haven't we? Certainly the, the second one. I think Argentina have progressed well under Scaloni. Argentina for too many years were, I don't know, just an underachieving national team where it seemed to always go wrong. And look, they still haven't won anything. This will be the big test. If it goes wrong again, then even Scaloni wouldn't have been able to get over the line. But in the past, the one I really look at is that that World Cup with San Pauli as the coach was just a complete disaster of random names thrown together in a lineup, just no structure and just awful. And I think now with Argentina, there's there's togetherness. They they have far less big names. A lot of the big names are actually on the bench. They don't start a lot. Of their... I don't think I don't think San Pauli was World Cup. I think it was Copa America. San Pauli, was, San, pa- San Pauli was also for the 2018 World Cup. Though. Oh, 2018, yeah. I thought you meant the... the no, no, no. 2014, no, no. 2014, they, they, had, they had an impressive run, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went to the final. 2014 Sorry, was... Me. it? I don't know what just happened. I, I had a... <laughs> what you call... What people call a brain fart. Yeah. <laughs> no, 2014 was impressive. And then, obviously, the, the two Copa America penalty shootout defeats were just heartbreaking. And then the 2018 World Cup was just a complete disaster, like I said. Now they have far less big names. All their stars, if they do pick them, they're on the bench mainly, like Di Maria and Aguero. Di Maria makes good impact off the bench, but you know he still doesn't get the start. I think we have to mention the fact that when they do go a goal up, they just struggle Argentina. And I think the main point I have to make about them is the point we've made a few times over this episode already, and that is that they aren't playing 90-minute matches. And when football is 90 minutes long... That's a big issue. They can't control the game. You made a good point about the fact that, you know, when teams aren't good without the ball, they need to be able to defend nicely with the ball and protect themselves, which is what, of course, as Barcelona fans, that's what we do. We know we're really bad without the ball. If we have to play, you know, 10 men behind the ball, we just can't do that, can we? So we have to take the ball and then, you know, defend through that. But Argentina have struggled with that. I do think they're progressing. Messi clearly wants this more than ever. He's right behind this national team. They're a tight-knit group. I do think they need to improve in this final. I think they'll need a monumental effort against Brazil. I really do, especially in Brazil. And I think it will be a cracking game. But Argentina have that fight about them. And Martinez in goal is a good good player you pointed out. Obviously, we mentioned him earlier with the penalties. But that is key. If he can save them on big occasions when they're struggling, which I know he can, then that could be massive. Yeah. And we on the other side, I guess we have Brazil and 
But I think it's an interesting one because I think this Brazil side, we still look at it as a level above Argentina. If we're taking a look at planteles, at squads in, in South America, I think Brazil is at the number one spot. I think nobody can debate with that. Argentina, I think, is second. And then you have Uruguay. Then, I don't know, you can go down further down the list. But the two teams that we care about are Brazil and Argentina. And Brazil is on top of Argentina right now. But this team is not as good or is as packed as talent as I think it was before when they faced off against uh Peru in the Copa America last last uh, in tw- in 2019. I think it's different. I think it's of lesser quality. I think Dani Alves is not there. Uh, well, Neymar of course was not there in that Copa America, but I think this time around, you take a look at it. There's no Coutinho. Uh, you have instead a Paqueta. There's no right winger. There's n- there's no proper right winger. Gabriel Jesus is still outbound for a red card. So who's going to be your striker? You're either going to put Roberto Firmino or you're going to go with Gabigol. Uh, you're going to put the right winger position who? Everton Ribeiro, Everton Suarez from Benfica or previously from Gremio. In the midfield, Casemiro, Paqueta and somebody else. There is no Artur. So what are you going to do there? Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, or maybe Eder Militao. Renan Lodi, no Alexandro there in the left-back position. And then right-back is Danilo. So... I think this overall squad is a little bit more depleted. I think Ederson also is not at the level of Allison that is in the national team. I think that Ederson in these games have looked as a little bit more of a suspect. It's not that he's worse than Allison. I think they're two great goalkeepers, especially top-tier goalkeepers of the Premier League. But Ederson just looks to be a little bit more... Uh, he's a little bit less focused uh, in the games. You can see him all the time just not as he's not as as focused as i say i heard a lot of reporters he, mm. that he's never even watching the ball i i heard i've heard from reporters on the on the field like i got i got i got a reporter on the field saying that on the game against peru ederson wasn't even watching the ball he was just like so confident about himself and it sounds weird but i mean that's what he does that's he, he the way he he commands himself on the pitch he's just confident all the time and that's how brazil plays brazil is this confident team that once again it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, um, how do you say in English about someone that is engreído? Do you know that what that word means? I don't. Like a spoiled Cocky kid. maybe? No, I think it's spoiled. Like a spoiled kid. Like, okay, yeah. I think a spoiled kid is Brazil. That once you take the toy away, they start crying. So Brazil is a very good team and rightly so. But once you take the ball away and you're able to control that, they get a little bit more nervous because they're like, oh shit. Now we have to wake up. Brazil playing cruise control, like I already told you before. And they wake up for these big occasions. And I think Brazil is still in cruise control. I think against Peru, they were in cruise control. And Argentina, I think they're going to come into cruise control again. I don't think they're going to wake up again 100%. I think that's when Argentina needs to strike. I think that Argentina can take those chances very early on. And they show that they scored very early goals against uh, Colombia. They scored very early on. If they can do that, if they can score early on Argentina again, I think they're going to have a very good chance against Brazil because Brazil are going to be, like I said, in that cruise control. And if they wake Brazil up then and Brazil go like, oh, 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 okay, we need to win. And then Argentina can strike and bite again. I think Brazil are going to be in a little bit of trouble. And I don't think they have the tools, like I said, of before to come back into the game. It takes them a little bit more. Against Peru, they only scored one goal. And they had an incredible first half. And Peru were shit in the first half. And they only scored one goal. They, 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 are, they, are, they are struggling a little bit more to create. And it's true. It's true. Against Colombia, they, they, they took almost 90 minutes to score the two goals that they needed to win the game. So Brazil, honestly, are not at the same quality they were before. 
So that's another thing that I, another reason why I think Argentina might be contenders for for this world for this World Cup for this Copa America. Yeah, you made some interesting points there on Brazil. I, I suppose I want, I want to touch on some similar things. I, I don't think this Brazil team is so incredible. I don't think it's the the best Brazil team we've seen. Certainly not. And maybe not even, like you said, better than the 2019 one. They are missing some players from that time, of course. They have got Neymar back, though. And, of course, they still do have that quality. I think some key players, Thiago Silva, Champions League winner, been there, done that. Very, very experienced at the back. And I think you 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 know you, you compare that to Otamendi or to Pesela for, for Argentina. That's big. Silva and Marquinhos against Pesela and Otamendi. That's huge if Romero's not fit, you know. Casemiro on midfield, you know, that's an established player who's won a lot of Champions Leagues for Real Madrid in the heart of midfield. Neymar up front, you know, the name says it all. So I still think Brazil have that quality. They have, you know, that those those players who really are core players who have been there and done that. And I think also for, for Brazil, what's massive about them is they've won things before. They don't come into this tournament like Argentina do, where in Messi's time in the national team, he hasn't won a single major trophy. So that's what Brazil have over Argentina, I think, coming into this final. They've been there, done that. They, they've overcome Argentina in the past in semi-finals. They've won the Copa America last time out, and that's big for Brazil. That, that really is, and I think that's why they come into this final as slight favourites. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And, and with that, I still think, though, that, I don't know, it's going to be tough. I think that, is it, is it that I can give a 50-50 but um for both for both finals we could yeah I don't know but but I don't know I have a feeling I think that Argentina can win this I feel that Brazil are given a a wake-up call because they Mm. I've been telling you I'm telling you from all the games that I've seen Brazil I've seen all the games of Brazil this Copa America they've not played up to their level they're Mm. they're anti you can see it on the on the touchline Tite is mad in the game against Peru Tite was so so mad because he was like you need to wake up. You need to wake up. You need to wake up. He knows that his team is not playing at one hundred percent, and and I think that they're due. They're due something. They're due a wake up call. And and I think that if Escaloni gets the lineup right, I think that if they get it right, uh, I think that something can can give. And I think that if Messi on his day, I think it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see as well that battle. Messi versus Neymar. Uh, I think that was gonna be an interesting one because of course. In the national team, they're very different because in the national team, both of the, these two players, they don't play as right winger and left winger. They play as Messi and Neymar. They do whatever they freaking yeah. want. <laughs> they don't have a proper structure. They just run the game by themselves. And that's exactly what they're going to be doing here as well. And it's going to be a really, really good joy to watch. I'm, I'm honestly more excited about this game than the one I'm for, for Italy, England, if I'm being honest. Um, I really am because I think that this one is going to be a, a, a clash. I think this one is going to... I think there's more... I think there's more kind of, um, what you call it, more bad blood between these teams. Yep. Mm. And I think that that can give. Um, I'm going to go 51% Argentina, 49% <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> wow, that, that close, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'd have to go 55 Brazil, 45 Argentina. <laughs> okay. Okay. Call me a dreamer. Call me a dreamer. <laughs> Okay, and to wrap up this section on the Copa America final, like we did for the Euros final, let's do our combined 11s. I'm going to start in goal. I've gone for Emi Martinez. Who have you gone for? Emi Martinez as well. I think the dude, the dude's is a crack. It's a crack. I think, yeah. I think the, 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 um, the penalties sealed the deal for me. I think, I think he just went up a level in that. Such, such, a, such a goat, honestly. 
Oh, yeah. At right back, this is interesting. Maybe the weakest position for both teams, actually. Who have you gone for? Yeah. I've gone for Emerson. <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting choice because I think Emerson is probably the best right back in both squads. But he hasn't been playing, has he? He hasn't, he hasn't been playing enough for me. So he played one game. Against, exactly. He played one game against Bolivia, and then he played yeah. um, no Bolivia. He played one game against Venezuela, and then he played substitute against Peru. He entered from the bench against Peru, and uh, but I think he's the best. He's the best right back out of both out of both squads. He's literally the best right back out of Brazil and the best right back in Argentina. <laughs> so I I picked Emerson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree, but it's the fact that he hasn't played enough this tournament. You know, Danilo started in a in a quarterfinal and a, and a semi-final, and I don't think the Argentina right-backs have been convincing enough, neither Molina or or Montiel on the bench. I, don't, I haven't been impressed with either of them really, you know, consistently, so I had to just go Danilo, even though, you know, Danilo for me isn't that much of an impressive footballer either. But yeah, into the centre-backs, who have you gone for here? This may be a bit straightforward. Uh, I went on Marquinhos, Silva. I would have been Cuti Romero some yeah. options, but I mean, he's only played something interesting. I'm making a video on like Argentina for the final as well for my channel. And I found out that Romero, all the games that he's played so far in the Copa America, Argentina has considered zero goals. Wow. But he's only played two games. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't make too much, too much sense. So Marquinhos, Silva, 100%. Yeah, I completely agree. That's, that's an amazing centre-back partnership, that for Brazil. Left-back, who have you gone for? Acuña. I agree. I, I like yeah. Acuna. I, I, I would start Acuna over, over Tagliafico, actually. I ha- I'm never that impressed with Tagliafico. For, for Argentina, definitely. Also, last season for Ajax, I don't think he's at the level that he was, you know, in that, in that wonderful 2018-19 season where it looked like every Ajax player could go to the top European clubs for 50 million. But I just, I just think Acuna is better. He's got more bite about him, even though Tagliafico is meant to be that, that hard-working left-back. But... I think Acuna is superior, certainly for Argentina, but I'm interested to see who, who Scaloni starts because if I'm not mistaken, I think Tagliafico did start the last game. And then you also yeah. look, o- you look over to Brazil, Alexandro, not for me, you know, maybe a little bit getting on. And then Anlodi also, I'd, I'd probably just edge Acuna. Yeah, I think that Acuna, uh, the nickname for Acuna is El Huevo Acuna. And in Spanish, you probably have heard already what it means to poner huevos. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah. Poner huevos is like give effort, like um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. like give your all, put one hundred percent, put one hundred percent in whatever thing you do. And Acuna does that. So I think for me, players like that, they are always going to be superior. And for me, Acuna, that's why he's there at left back. Um, but then in the center of midfield, who do you have? Who's your first midfielder? I've got. It, well, in the holding midfield role, I've got Casemiro. Yeah, me too, Casemiro. I think that's easy. And then as the two interiors, if you like, in a 4-3-3, I've gone for Paqueta, who's actually impressed this tournament. I, I probably should have mentioned Paqueta in our in our little Copa America preview when as maybe like the young player of the tournament, even though he's not maybe so young anymore, 22, 23, is it? But he's been good for Brazil. Of course, he got the big goal against Peru, didn't he? And then in the other midfield spot, I've gone for Rodrigo de Paul. Yeah, I've gone with Paqueta and I've gone with Paredes. I think that Paqueta is an interesting one. I think that now that, for instance, Memphis is going out from Olympic de Lyon, I think that I think that he's going to take the mantle. I think that I've been surprised with him. I think that he's a really good creator and he's not that much of a midfielder, you know, honestly. He's been linking up very well with uh, with Neymar this this campaign. And it's kind of like Neymar is coming into the inside of the positions. He's coming into as a number 10 and Paqueta is drifting as a left midfielder. So 
it's kind of almost like Paqueta playing as a left winger. So it's very interesting to see that Paqueta is mostly like a very a very versatile player and and how he's gonna grow, especially how he's gonna be utilized then in, in France. I, I'm I'm excited to see how he grows from here. And I decided to go with Paredes because I think Paredes just been a an all-round player. Uh the ball I I think the ball has been really good, but mm. I don't know. I, I just my personal preference is Paredes, I, I guess. Fair enough. And in the front three, who have you gone for? Uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, the little kid called Leo Messi. <laughs> yep, me too. Yeah, fair play. <laughs> yeah, just about. <laughs> and then, uh, who do you have a striker? I've got Lautaro, just. Yeah, just Lautaro. There wasn't too many options, honestly, a striker. No, exactly, exactly. And Lautaro has scored big goals, so. Yeah, I mean, um, Lautaro for me, like I said, I think he gives a little bit... He gives something different, I think. He's not a typical striker. Uh, I think he's more of a enabler. He's kind of like a, a striker that likes to pressure, open up spaces for the wingers. He's more of a complete striker, not just there to score goals. And I think that's what kind of Argentina needed for Messi and whatever whoever plays at the left winger position. And that's basically just it, because between Argentina and Brazil, I think there's really not anyone that can take that position up, <laughs> really. So, yeah. And then left winger... Yeah, Neymar. Easy as well. So with that, let's move onwards into the last piece of our podcast, and that's the overtime. Okay, guys, so welcome to overtime again. What we're going to do in this overtime section is actually go over our Euro predictions. Uh, This was actually at the start of the round of 16, so the bracket was made. None of the games have been played in the knockout stages, but we made some early predictions for who we thought would go on to win the whole thing. Uh, Come the end of the bracket, we also gave some predictions for the dark horses, the best player, the top scorer, and the best young player. Let's start with our predictions for who we thought would win the Euros at this stage. Luis, who did you go for? (laughs) Why do you ask me first? (laughs) (laughs) I went for the Netherlands. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. You had such faith in them. Dude, I honestly I had faith in Memphis Depay. Dude, in all honesty, it was one day since Barca signed Depay, so... I was a little bit on the on the hype train. It all got I mean. too much for you. Too much for me. Too much for me. But uh, but I think your guess is already still still on. Yeah, I went I went Italy. I think after the group stages, they were kind of the obvious pick, weren't they? Because they played so well, and it was the question of are they going to be able to push on and beat good opposition? Well, they got through against Austria. They played brilliantly against Belgium, and they even overcame that adversity against Spain. So here they are in the final. Look, we've already mentioned earlier that we think England are probably slight favourites for this one. They come into this final in a really good spot, but you know, I'll, I'll stick with Italy. And that prediction is, is Italy as winners isn't bad. Dark Horses, you had a, a very good suggestion, I think, for Dark Horses. Who was that? Oh, I had Denmark and you had Wales. So yep. I'm going to expose you. Yep, yeah, you did. That was, a, that was a great suggestion, obviously, Denmark. I went Wales because obviously Wales-Denmark was that round of 16 tie, wasn't it? Whoever won that maybe would have gone on to be the Dark Horse. Denmark absolutely thrashed Wales, so there you go. Yeah, then best player, we had both Locatelli. I, we both had Locatelli? I had yeah, Locatelli. We, we both said Locatelli would be an option. An interesting one I mentioned, I was just watching it back, I said that if Spain go far, watch out for Busquets. Pretty solid suggestion because Busquets was massive for Spain, but maybe Pedri would have been a better shot there. And Locatelli, we said Locatelli because he was massive in the group stages, but yeah. then after Verratti... Just suddenly appear back into the frame. Locatelli was him. never back. Was never seen again. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
<laughs> we just got carried away by Manuela Catelli there as well. Um, who could be best player now? That's an interesting pick one. Wow. Uh, maybe, I think maybe Sterling. Sterling's I think, a I think Sterling's got a great shout. It will depend who scores in the final as well. If Kane gets two, I think Kane will get it. If Sterling gets one and Kane doesn't get one, then Sterling will get it. For Italy, if Jorginho scores the winning penalty, then Jorginho could definitely get it. I think the fact that he won the Champions League, even though it should have no relevance, <laughs> I still feel as if it does play into people's minds, doesn't it? It just pushes them up the up the rankings subconsciously. I think, I think maybe Chiesa has a good shot as well. Yeah, Kiesa, Insigne, who we mentioned earlier. And well, maybe yeah. one, of, one of those centre-backs would be an outside, an outside shot. Maybe, maybe one of the centre-backs as well, good shout. Uh, maybe maybe even Spinazzola could win it just for emotional reasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, top scorer, we both say Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Is he, he still, at, is he still the top scorer just by yeah. he's on the same amount as Schick, is it? Yeah, he's still five. And the only one who could reach him now... Nobody can like Sterling can score two goals and reach five, but I don't think he's gonna score a hat trick. So still, gonna, it's still probably gonna be Cristiano Ronaldo. Best young player, we both said Pedri. And did we mention Pedri? I, I thought I thought we mentioned Kai Havertz. We mentioned Kai Havertz. Ooh, we're both wrong. Then oh yeah, we say we did say Kai Havertz. I remember. Yeah, but uh, but, but but I mean we are exposed. Engine yeah. room exposed. <laughs> you're right to mention Pedri because Pedri has to win young player of the tournament Pedri is going to win best, best young player now what a player what a player like he's going to win it now we did take a habit I remember now that you say that Pedri is going to win it now um, I think that Chiesa could also win it even though he's 23 and I also think that maybe Damsgaard could win it as well oh yeah mm. I think those could those are the three I think could win it um yeah, I think I think that's everything, and that should yeah. be for today. Are we missing anything else? No, no. I don't think so. I think I think we've we've covered everything there for well some massive finals on the weekend, eh? Yeah, and I just want you to stay tuned on Twitter because we're gonna be fixing our schedule or going back to regular schedule now because there's not gonna be any more tournaments, and the podcast is gonna be covering more topics like normal football, whatever's gonna be happening weekly, transfer news, whatever. Uh, so we're going to be seeing whether we're going to be publishing on a different date or we're going to be continuing because, of course, we just had to publish on Fridays and Thursdays for these past uh, three weeks because the dates were kind of alternating due to the competitions. So stay updated on Twitter to see when those dates are coming up. And after that, it's just going to be like a proper proper weekly date. It's never going to change now from hopefully for the next like future. Hopefully it doesn't change. And yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Anything you want to say, Pablo? No, that's it. Hope everyone enjoyed, really. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to more content in the future. Yeah, follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know it, Twitter, YouTube, in the future, Instagram as well. And see you in the next one. Take care. Ciao, ciao. <laughs>